0: Live from the Toad Hop Network Studios.
1: In Hollywood, this, this is the ToadHopNetwork.com.
2: It is strongly addictive.
1: Radio worth watching.
0: Radio worth watching. This is Vox Populi. Vox Populi. The voice of the occasionally interested people. A political talk show for people who don't spend a lot of time talking politics. The only agenda. Understand, inform, and entertain. Now, here's your host, Sean Astin.
3: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Vox Populi, voice of the occasionally interested people. My name is Sean Aston, and I am coming to you live from Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic. So if I start using my broken Spanish, por favor, darme un, I don't know, give me, hmm, respeto, por favor. Respect? No, no, no. You can't demand respect. You have to earn respect. Um, please say hello. If you are listening to this show or you're watching the show, you've got a good visual on Francisco. Francisco, why don't you wave to the camera so everybody can see you? No, even higher. you got to raise that hand up even higher. There it is. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Francisco. Francisco's come in to um, help us try and make the show wonderful. Johnny Ice, you're on the boards. Everything's good with you? Everything's great. All righty, then. So I'm in, uh, I'm in Santo Domingo working on a, a movie. It is, um, it's a, a job that I've wanted to do for a long time. You know, As an actor, when people ask you what kind of movie you want to work on, I don't know, usually for 25 years, my hand, I just throw my hands up and say, I don't know, something good, uh, you know, an action movie, something like Die Hard. I don't know. Um, I used to say I want to do a Western movie. But what I've been saying for the last few years is I really want to do a, um, a horror movie. A classic horror movie. Do you have someone come calling through there, Francisco? Is that what you? Let me test Francisco's voice. Francisco, can you hear me now? I hear you. Ah, perfect. Okay. If you see someone calling in, Francisco, just go ahead and give me a wave on the camera, and I'll uh, I'll direct you to answer it, and we can we can accept a caller. So the the call in number is six two six. What is it? Three. Oh no, it's area code three two three six two two eight six two three. There you go. Three, two, three, six, two, two.
4: Eight, six two three.
3: Eight six two three. Excellent. Uh, you got a voice for radio there, Francisco. Don't 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 let anybody tell you different. Um, okay, so I want to do a horror movie, a classic, kind of you know, don't let your kids watch it, bloody gory horror movie, and that's what I'm down here in the Dominican Republic working on, is a film uh, that is called Cabin Fever. Um, it's basically a reboot of the original Cabin Fever, I don't know, 15 years ago or so, that was, uh, uh, it's it's one of these kind of virus movies anyhow. So I'm having a good time doing that, that's why I have such a a long beard, it's why my hair's scraggly, it's why I'm in the Dominican Republic, but it is two weeks away roughly from the presidential election and a lot of other um, elections in the United uh, States of America, my home country and I have this political radio show and I was going to do everything in my power to make sure that I could get on the podcast, radio cast, Toad Hop Network site to um, share some thoughts about what it is that I've been watching and reading and to hopefully hear some um, input and feedback from you listener viewers and like that. So without further ado, I think we should start talking about uh, you know, I've had a great time the last two shows talking about um, the first presidential debate. And then did we talk about, and I guess it was the second presidential debate. And somewhere in there, there was a vice presidential debate that I think came on a Friday. And then the, the presidential was on the Tuesday or Wednesday. So we actually didn't have an, an uninterrupted uh, space-time continuum there to, to, to break down what happened in the vice-presidential debate. But basically now, since then, we've, or since last show, we've had, uh, we've had the third presidential debate in Boca Raton, Florida that focused um, the topic, the subject of which was uh, foreign policy and, um, and international relations. And they did spend some of the time actually talking about that. Um, so I was live-tweeting during it I'm actually going to pull up uh, my tweets and read some of my tweets because I try very hard on this show to offer a, uh, you know, I'm a Democrat and, um, you know, I support Obama, but, and I'm, I'm not uh, shy about sharing my opinions. Um, but at the same time, uh, I try on on our show here to be as objective as possible and to, uh, really seek out other uh, viewpoints and really try and understand them and, and agree with them and change my, my position if I, somebody makes a point that is different than I'd ever thought about it. Um, so I try and be even on the show, as, as my, my, most of my listeners, uh, steady listeners know. So that sort of goes out the window, though, I noticed, when I'm watching a debate and live-tweeting. And live tweeting is a thing that I really don't know that I like. I love it, but I but I hate it too because it totally interrupts the experience of uh, whatever it is that you're supposed to be paying attention to. So I had a show on television that I did, the the Alphas, and the the network really wanted me to be doing live tweeting during the show, and it was it was a very strange experience because you know I'd make a comment about something and then realize that I had just given away you know, uh, a piece of action that was about to happen or a character or something like that. So you like well, what do you want me to do? You want me to be live tweeting during my I don't you know, it's a different uh skill set than I've had to um manifest in my in my time in the uh, dramatic arts. But uh and then the political thing is, is just insane because I was also trying to track some of the political feeds that other people had and and um I don't know. It's just a really interesting thing. It's like you know, it's it's just overwhelming how what Information there is out there, but I so but as I was doing it, I realized that the emotional response I was having on screen you know to what was happening on screen was um was hard for me to contain and I realized that my um, one of the things I'm really good at which is being able to sublimate my own emotional response to something so that somebody else has an opportunity to really communicate what they want or because it's not helpful when you're when you're doing conflict resolution or you're helping. Uh, facilitate a dialogue among other people. That's a that's a it's a, a thing that I'm good at. It's a skill, and um, but somehow it was not operant during the my my watching. So here's a couple of the um, tweets that I sent. Uh, okay, right, here we go. Um, Bob Schieffer. Looks Have you heard about Prop
2: Thirty Two? It claims.
3: Is there, are you testing something there? Because it, it popped through. Um, so the one of the first thing I wrote when the debate started was Bob Schaefer looks Schaefer looks to be in rough shape. No, um, and he really did. He really looked like he hadn't got much sleep. There was no color in his face. He was he looked just you know I mean he's a, a legendary journalist who's done a number of a great number of those presidential debates and he's been on um, was it Face the Nation on CBS for I don't know as long as CBS has been on I think. Uh, but I, I just thought, boy, that that old timer looks like he's in rough shape, which was which was uh, uh, unnerving because, Candy Crowley had been the subject of so much uh, discussion after the second debate, the CNN uh, journalist and moderator of that debate, because she had uh, interjected herself into a couple of beats, and they they did have a, a an impre- appreciable Im- impact on people's perceptions. The most notable of which was when she. Um, sort of, I guess they said, she fact-checked in real time what Obama was saying. And what Obama was saying was, uh, you know, I did, he was basically saying, I did call what happened in Benghazi, uh, Libya, at our U.S. embassy that was overrun, a terrorist attack the day after it happened. And Romney was intent on making the point that uh, he had not referred to it as terrorism. And and Candy Crawley jumped in and... um, and then, you know, the the two other previous moderators. Anyway, being a good moderator was a really important kind of subject. And, and uh, having Bob Schieffer walk into the event looking unwell did not uh, instill confidence. And then I thought when Romney sat down, he just looked more relaxed. I thought he looked more presidential. Um, you know, uh, Obama seemed a little, I don't know, like intense or something like that. And then uh, Bob Schieffer ran out of the gate, started with Libya, which is what everybody was saying was going to be a big subject of the day, and um, and then I thought I thought Obama at the beginning of the debate. Are you putting? You should be throwing up, um, Johnny. Ice, you should be throwing up pictures of that third debate of Bob Schieffer and of uh, of Romney and Obama in split screen. If you if you can, are you are you throwing any of those up or no?
0: Working on grabbing pictures right now. And we have a phone call coming through, 408, if you would All like right,
3: to All right, go ahead. Let's go ahead and answer that. Tell me when you cl- – it's on the other monitor there, Francisco. They're on. Oh, hello there. Who's this? This is Lupe. How
1: are you?
3: Hola, Francisco. oh, oh. Francisco, she said hola.
1: Hey, hey Lupe.
3: Hi. <laughs> Lupe's my friend. Lupe is one of my uh, one of my, the loyal followers, and and I'm thrilled to. Uh, I thought you were saying "Hola" to me because I'm in the Dominican. So, um, uh, so "Hola, Lupe." Uh, the thought I was just going to say was that the the initial optics of the of the debate it looked to me like uh, Obama was staring daggers at him. You know, he had received criticism for not looking at. Romney and staring down at his notes at the podium the whole first debate, and it made him seem tired and disrespectful. And so now he was not going to be accused of that. So instead, he almost looked like some sort of a robot just staring it unblinkingly across the the, uh, uh, the the split screen there at, uh, at Romney. And Romney looked just chill at the beginning of it. So I thought, wow, Obama's off to a very bad start and then i thought he uh relatively you know quickly thereafter began to with a very aggressive uh tenor just began controlling the the debate the tempo and and the the whole the whole feeling and of the of the debate but but anyway lupe what what's on you're always so good you always have such great research and such good opinions uh do you, do you want to talk about the debate, or do you want to talk about the election in general, or something else? What do you, let's let's let you kind of uh, set the set the context.
1: You want to talk about the weather? No, kidding. Um, so I guess we can talk about the debates. My opinion. I listened to it, and I was talking to Heidi from North Dakota. Uh, we were both listening to it on NPR, so we had a pretty, uh, pretty different opinion as to how it was going, uh, how the debate was going. So it was funny because I was uh, I'm a speech therapist, so I was actually perseverating on their vocal quality, quality, so I noticed that Obama was slightly hypernasal, and I noticed that um, Romney was slightly breathy, um, so I couldn't get past that. I did end up watching it again at home, um, and so I was able to notice a little bit of uh, what you're talking about, their their disposition and how they presented themselves. What I found interesting was that Romney, he was blinking his eyes excessively, and I don't know if that was just, the way he is, or he was just nervous, or, I mean, I really didn't know what was going on. What I enjoyed about the debate was that they just kept on agreeing, and I sent you a link from John Stewart, because he did this cute little duet where they were t- talking about foreign policy, and they just kept on agreeing with the other person, which I found absolutely fascinating.
3: When did you, uh, when did you send that to me?
1: Oh, gosh, I sent it to you probably about 45 minutes ago
3: okay I'm just looking at it because I want to pull it uh, um, Francisco can you try and pull it up is it is it recent on the uh, I'd love to play that for the audience because that would be fun uh, yeah I'm, I'm it's, also... it's pretty recent it's
1: pretty recent
3: it's well, pretty recent uh, you can
1: probably just go through my twitter feed and find the stuff that I posted the stuff that I posted recently is just stuff to you
3: okay you know what I think it'd be easier given where Francisco is if he just goes into the URL if he just starts if you just google um, John Stewart it's probably on the the one of the top squares on his uh on that website the uh, actually not John Stewart it would be what would it be it would be the daily show yeah the daily show so go to the daily show website and see if you can uh, identify the one she's talking about where they agree a lot i I thought just to just to deal with the the kind of um the superficial a little bit more. I thought that Romney looked like he was yawning a couple of times, like he was doing a thing where he would kind of breathe in through his nose and he would try and stifle a yawn. And I started thinking, I bet the humidity, I bet, bet the humidity in the travel schedule is like affecting him a little bit because I thought halfway through the debate that he was suffering from the same kind of syndrome that Obama was suffering from in the first one, which was just a kind of, he just wasn't, his energy just wasn't there. And, and, um, you know a lot of the pundits afterwards were noting that you know it was a very um, they they were commenting that they believed that it was a very calculated decision not to engage Obama in a in a sort of battle of intensity but to try and look more presidential and look more of a commander in chief by being calm c- cool and collected and and very you know um, yeah just in command of his own emotions and and uh, And interestingly he didn't he didn't really uh, go after Obama about Libya the way that he had started to in the second debate and it's funny because it was the first thing Schaefer started off with so he basically gave Romney every opportunity to um, for him to lay out the case that they they had uh, known all along from the diplomatic cables that uh, they you know that the that the ambassador had asked for more protection that the security situation was deteriorating, and that they were they knew in real time as the battle was underway that there wasn 't really a crowd outside or or you know all these kinds of things, and that they put out you know Secretary Rice came out just that whole um, uh, that whole thing great I see that Francisco so it was they, they basically the, the entire thing that if you watch Sean Hannity right now, Sean Hannity has now um, you know, do you remember in the first, in two thousand eight? It was uh, Bill Ayers, an unrepentant terrorist, and he kind of had this mantra that he would go on against Obama, and he would just every thirty to forty five seconds he would just repeat the same phrase over and over and over again. Well, he's got a new one now. You know, he's basically saying that the president just bald faced lied directly to the American people, and that he knew that they were uh, that he failed to bring any uh, to support. He didn't give any support to the ambassador and to the to our the installation there, um, and he's, he's got that same, same riff that he could go on. Let me go ahead and have um, Francisco play. He's got the Daily Show clip. We'll play that one, and then if you could look up Sean Hannity uh, and see if he's got like YouTube Sean Hannity on this new thing, I, I, uh, I'd love to infuriate myself by hearing, hearing that too. But go ahead, uh, Francisco, and play that. And just so you know, on that computer, Francisco, as soon as it stops, it's going to start right away again, so you've got to be ready to manually stop it.
5: We need to make sure, making absolutely certain
6: that they don't have arms arms in the wrong hand.
3: On foreign policy, it appears
4: that all that's left, all that's left for the presidential race is this one model. I mean, at least we still get our choice of color, but it's the same model.
6: America must lead. We need strong leadership, real leadership. I'd like to be that leader.
0: Follow me! I'll be right behind the president. (laughs) Mitt Romney has been running for president for seven years. These are two short weeks left in the campaign. So at this point, he really wants to know what individuals think so he can think it too. Because, John, he really,
6: really wants to be president. Give me a quick Butler single.
3: Was that it? Was that, uh, that was how they agree on each other? It sounded like the very first part of that was kind of what Lupe was getting at. But see if you can pull up the Sean Hannity on YouTube uh, yeah. or, or on his show, giving his uh, riff about him. So, okay, so enough of the um, the superficial things, um, Lupe. What did you think about, um, what did you think about the, the, their basic approach to international relations? What did you think about what, what Romney, how he was essentially depicting who he'd be as a commander-in-chief and and what he would do in terms of international relations. What did you think?
7: Actually, uh,
0: she's no longer on the phone.
3: Good. I agree with Lupe completely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My daughter, Elizabeth, who is a frequent guest on the show and uh, a a very um, revered thinker by the audience of this show, uh, and I were Skyping last night, and she really now is – we're really bonding over her – her developing enthusiasm for world affairs. And she was telling me that she was able to get a little bit of extra credit because she she wanted to um, do some sort of a report on the debate, this third debate. So she listed the uh, – she went and watched. She said, Dad, for some reason the um, – Tivo only recorded the last bit of it, and I guess she didn't go on to YouTube and watch it all, whatever. But she went and watched their closing arguments, the last two speeches that each were allowed to give, and she she basically, you know, uh, uh, you know, was a stenographer and and uh, you know just listed what they both said. And she's and it's funny because I won't tell her what to think. You know, she'll say, well, Dad, what did you think? And I'll say, well, before I tell you what I think about it, because I have an opinion, and before we talk about what, you know, the experts and the pundits think, what did you, what did you think, Elizabeth? I want to ask her, my 10-year-old. And she said, well, I thought that President Obama had lots of things that he wanted to do and with, the, with our country and to help our country in his next term, And I thought that Romney didn't really say anything specific. I just started laughing. And, uh, you know, I said, it's funny because on television, if you watch Fox News or MSNBC, maybe not so much MSNBC, but certainly CNN when they have the conservative commentators, the big story coming out of the second debate was that Obama didn't have any detail. That all he was doing was attacking President uh, 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 Candidate Romney's Governor Romney's um, ideas, but that he wouldn't lay out his own vision for the future. And uh, and and I said, so let me hear. And she read through the seven or eight things that uh, Obama had said, and they were great. They were exactly. I mean, she just basically transcribed it. And then I and then I read what uh, what she had written about Romney, and and she had. There was basically nothing there. And I said, honey, you've got to listen to it. I listened to it. He, he did have a lot of specific things that he said. Whether you agree with him or not is a different story, but he did say a lot of things. And she said, well, the one thing I didn't understand that I was going to write down is what is a status of forces agreement? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I spent an hour on the phone last night with, uh, with Elizabeth, started to explain what a status of forces agreement was between two countries. And then we ended up getting Google Maps out and we started focusing on the Middle East and we started going through um, what the different countries were. And it was really interesting because when you try to ex- describe, you know, uh, explain to a 10-year-old who's smart enough to understand it, her questions are brilliant. You, know, you talk about Osama bin Laden and she said, well, why did he do that? And you, you start to explain. And you say, well, let's not go into too much detail about that right now. Let's try and understand the, the overall picture. And we go to Afghan, well, she just has all these very thoughtful, logical questions to which there's no easy answer. And so, but she, it was amazing. It was amazing to to try and explain, well, actually, if you go back, it was in Tunisia that a man um, took his own life because he couldn't feed himself and he was selling bread. And then everybody, you know, was very upset from Yemen. And she's, we're on Skype and she's looking at the map and she can see... You know, okay. Well, Ethiopia is the bottom part of what she can see, and she can see part of Afghanistan on the right. And so we're going through, and we're, we're. I'm trying to explain it, and then I'm, and then we're we're referring constantly back to uh, Obama and and Romney, and and trying to see if what they said, you know, kind of made any sense based on looking at the map and thinking about it, and um. And what I found myself doing was, oh, you've got Hannity. Uh, okay, let's let's see. Well, it's it, this is his clip on the on the the final debate. But really, what I want to hear is something from the show in the last twenty four hours, the last show episode or two. But go ahead and play it because Hannity uh, it, it always makes my blood boil. And why not do that?
8: You know, I'm actually. It's funny. I spent a lot of time last night on Twitter writing people, friends with people, et cetera, et cetera You know, about the debate. I'm. I can't explain it. I'm just beyond it. It just, it just was kind of almost like anticlimactic, it's over, let's get this, let's get on with it. And um, I say that as somebody that during the course of last night's right, debate us. was just going we'll through an up one. and down and sort of ebb and flow of emotions.
3: There's, there's no point in playing that because I actually agree with everything he's saying right there. <laughs> um, no, see if you can find like last night's episode – uh, he, even when he's interviewing people, he just start. he's now in this gentle refrain of, of, uh, the president's a bald faced liar and he's, you know, like that. Um, but I think everybody sort of feels like that. I noticed that the, um, reported viewership of the third debate was about, um, it's just under 60 million. And the first two debates had, I think the first one was over 70 million and the second one was nearly 80 million, uh, people, but you know, the difference between 60 and 80 million people is 20 million people. So it, it was very clear to me watching the debate and anyone um, watching my live Twitter stream knew that I actually declared him the winner not long after the uh, bayonets and horses uh, joke. Uh, not because of that, but because of uh, just the way the whole uh, debate had been going. I just thought that he had been eviscerated. Uh, and and was you know agreeing with everything, and, and I just thought he was behind the just couldn't he just couldn't crawl out from from Obama, Obama's um, aggressive um, tactic that he was using. So, and then I actually said something else on which is um, that I predict that Obama will will win the race in a uh, in a in a squeaker. Um, so I predicted that on Twitter um, two thirds of the way halfway or two thirds of the way through the third debate. Now. Uh, you know, I, I could be very, very wrong on that. There could be a constitutional crisis. Uh, there, you know, there could be a greater popular vote than, uh, and somebody else wins the electoral vote. A lot of different things can happen. But that was—I just felt like, as a partisan, I had not been willing to kind of um, make a prediction. I had said early on when I started this show that I thought he would win. Um, but so I, I decided to make a, a formal prediction, and then if I'm wrong, my audience can teased me forever about having made a false prediction. Uh, and if I'm right, I can gloat about being uh, Nostradamus. But but basically, um, the, <laughs> thank you. <for laughs> I like positive reinforcement from my team in the booth. Uh, Francisco just agreed with me. So, um, I'm just trying to decide which of the many International, which are the foreign relations positions? You know, Romney said one thing that I thought was really interesting, and I I couldn't tell if he was saying it to appeal to uh, Hispanics for a Hispanic vote or if he was saying it because it was, he just objectively, if he just believed, I I couldn't understand it. He was saying that Latin America um, was really ripe for the United States uh, and for American interests to, um, to, Boy, I almost used the word exploit, which is probably not the right word in that uh, region, based on our country's um, history down there. But the uh, but 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 very rich opportunities for um, for growth and for business and for uh, for capital in in Latin America. And it, he said it very quickly, and it went away very quickly. But I just I just thought it was interesting because in the whole 18 months of this campaign just haven't really heard very much about Latin America. You've heard about Mexico, and you've heard about the Fast and Furious and the gun, the, the drug war that's happening you know, on the border states, and, and we've talked about illegal immigration. But just um, um, 17 out of 24 Romney foreign advisors are from the Bush-Cheney administration. Hmm. Um I'll bet seventeen out of twenty-four of uh, Obamas are from the Clinton administration, but I, you know, you, uh, that, sorry, that's just a fact that came through there, but um, from Francisco, but, but, um, but anyway, I thought that was interesting. I thought, um, well, I thought the discussion about Russia was fascinating, and the difference between that Romney wanted to draw out between it being a geopolitical foe or adversary versus it being an versus it being a national security, an immediate national security threat. And I, I worked pretty hard in my mind to try and understand what the distinction was. Um, and I, I you know, I th- I think without being able to articulate it, I kind of get what he was going at. Um, but the idea that, you know, somebody might a unilateral terrorist action against some uh, American interest or in the homeland or something like that would be uh, would be an imminent national security threat, or Iran having a nuclear weapon or something, and that I didn't understand what he meant about it being a geostrategic threat. I mean, it used to be that we'd line up all of our tanks and and uh, that the amount that our budgets, you know, the Cold War, what we did with how much we're spending on. Um, defense and the, and the Soviet spending on defense, and but I don't know. I, I would have liked to have uh, heard had um, Obama press Romney a little bit more on what that what that distinction was that he was he was trying to make. Let me look through the Twitter feed here a little bit. Have you found that um, Hannity clip? I'm really interested in playing that Hannity clip. But okay. Um, <clears throat> Boy, it really seems like the Libya thing is—you know—maybe part of the reason that Romney was not so aggressive on the Libya um, uh, crisis in the debate is because the news organizations now are are um, fully engaged with um, the issue and are, are repeating it and playing it over and over again. So maybe he didn't need to do that. He felt he didn't need to do that work because uh, to try and hurt Obama's credibility because the news organizations and the media was about doing that now. Um, and maybe for good reason and maybe for not. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, um, we can't kill our way out of the. Scarlet Moriel says, I like when Romney said we can't kill our way out of this mess. I thought that was fascinating too. I thought that was really fascinating because. In my lifetime, usually that's something a Democrat would say. And a Republican would say, well, no, we can't kill our way out of it, but without a strong defense, you know. So so I, I just thought that was a um, – he sounded so much more centrist, Romney did, in the debate than he ever has before. Now, all, he just sounded very reasonable, like he wouldn't want to go to war right away as a first option. Whereas two weeks ago, he was, um, you know, excoriating – Obama for uh, leading from behind in the Libya uh, overthrow of Gaddafi and, and so forth. Um, so I, th- I found that, that um, we can't kill our way out of this mess thing that Romney said, and, and a number of the other points is like surprisingly um, leaning on a kind of humanitarian tonality that is different from what I had heard from him before. Um, Romney didn't debate, too busy trying to be a nice guy. (laughs) I'm reading through the Twitter feed here to see if I can uh, prompt myself. Um, Oh, like the discussion of enlarging the uh, Navy, Uh, the the bayonet zinger. Scarlett likes the bayonet zinger. Um, And reducing spending. I heard afterwards that in Maryland, where there's a huge naval base, that the polling stretched out in favor of Romney right afterwards because of uh, and and it was attributed to the comments that uh, that Obama had made um, about the ships and uh, okay play that play play oh that made me I remember seeing this one Um, anyhow so the idea that that Romney continues to accuse um, Obama of shrinking the budget for defense and that that's going to make us more um, vulnerable and make us less safe. That is a classic Republican attack on Democrats in my lifetime, um, is making Democrats look weak, uh, is, the, is the idea, is the accusation. And, um, you know, Obama has been saying, and many others have been saying, in fact, as recently, six months ago, John McCain was saying, that, you know, there are really important cuts that need to be made and that the military isn't even asking uh, for some of the... Uh, spending that um, others are uh, wanting so anyhow so uh, so for him to um for Obama to kinda hold Romney's feet to the fire saying that you know if you really study the way you know that modernization that that you know technology that that new tactics and everything else mean that we need to change the way our military operates. I thought it was a pretty good zinger, too. But apparently, when he said we don't use as many bayonets and horses, uh, the Marines still do train with bayonets. And so there there was apparently some pushback there. Uh, I don't think he said there were no bayonets now. But anyhow, um, go ahead and play that uh, Hannity-Rubio debate. And then just find other fun stuff for me to respond to, because sitting out here in the the Dominican is... uh, I guess I could talk about well, the way for international people are looking at the elections because it's kind of intriguing. But go ahead and play that Hannity uh, interview.
8: Known as Florida Senator Marco Rubio. Senator, good to see you. How are Thanks you? Thanks for having me back. It was very interesting. As the debate went on tonight, a couple of things started. It was obvious to me that Governor Romney went into this debate not wanting to go tit for tat with the president. The president came off at times a little petulant, a little angry. No, 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 no. I felt, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know if that really sells well in the end with the American people.
7: Good strategy? Yeah. yeah no, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, the, for, Governor Romney came here tonight and, and showed people that he's ready to be president. He appeared presidential, and the president appeared small. There were a couple times that there was a major. There was, a, there was a question about Iran's nuclear program, and the president responded with a petty answer about how the governor had some sort of investment in a chinese company that did business with iran what does it have to do with the nuclear program in iran yeah. there is a big question about a major important issue that's existential to to one of our closest allies in israel and the president answers with that he appeared petty he did not look presidential tonight That no, romney did there was a
8: lot that i felt that governor romney could have been brought up if he wanted to go uh, he did bring up the apology tour you know he did say that america was guilty of torture when he went to cairo uh, so, the, so the, Governor Romney did bring up some of these things, but this is also a president that said when he was running last time, Iran, Cuba, Venezuela, those
7: countries are tiny. They're not yeah. a threat. So But, flipped but you know what Governor down. Romney did tonight? When he pointed those things out, he did so within the context of what this campaign is about. For example, he talked about our leverage on Iran and the ability to get Iran to respond to a negotiation, and he pointed out all the actions the president took that sent the signal to the Ayatollahs.
3: Wow. Well, I remember uh, I thought that uh, Romney was particularly effective when he said um, that when Obama went on the tour of Middle East nations to uh, start rebuilding relationships uh, that had been uh, strained and injured under the Bush administration, uh, he said that you didn't go to Israel and they noticed you didn't go to Israel. Uh, and he really, really, really tried to uh, hurt Obama on that, uh, on the idea. And this idea, I, I don't know why the Obama folks aren't pushing back with this daylight thing. Romney kept saying, uh, has said any number of times that that Obama made a statement about um, we need to put a little daylight between our position and the Israeli position. Um, and and I haven't heard the, um, at least not in the in the mainstream media. The, the response that uh, that the Obama campaign, I'm sure they have a response to it, but I, I just haven't heard it. And then, of course, uh, Obama's response back was really, um, uh, yeah, go ahead and answer it. I was really um, Hello, hello, this is Sean, you're on the air, who's this? Hi, Sean, it's Chuck. Chuck, how you doing, brother?
4: I'm doing good, I'm doing good, I've been listening to your uh... Your show the last couple of weeks, which for me, you know, takes a little bit of effort, but uh, some really interesting things going on.
3: What do you, are you listening to? Uh, I was just kind of starting to wade into Romney's um, attempt to use Israel uh, as a as a good political um, battering ram against uh, Obama, and then I was just about to say that Obama had a had a rebuttal to. Um, Romney's attack, uh, a charge that he hadn't gone to visit Israel when he went everywhere else to, to a lot of other Muslim countries in the, in the region doing the, uh, his, his, that first trip he took. And, and um, Obama said, well, you know, I've, I've, uh, when I went as a candidate, I didn't go with um, fundraisers and I didn't go with that, those kind of people. I went to Yad Vashem, which is a Holocaust uh, museum, and he went there to remind himself what, what evil was like. And it, it was really interesting to watch these, these two political guys um, – yeah you know
4: well I felt like political. I felt like uh, Obama's statement was very poignant, but it didn't change the fact that basically what Romney was saying was right, but uh, the real relevance is if you're going around trying to deal with a lot of countries that are pissed off at us because of Bush, Israel is probably the least of his concerns at that particular point. I mean we had. So many problems in so many regions with so many countries that he was trying to fix it. And if they want to call it an apology tour or whatever, the fact is we had virtually no foreign policy during the eight years of Bush, at least none that people overseas cared about. Um, I don't know. Have you seen the BBC poll that was released like yesterday that states like 9%? I'm sorry?
3: Yeah, yeah. I saw one that had a list of every, uh, it had like 30 different countries and who the opinion polls were, who they would prefer, and it was like 99% Obama and 1% Romney.
4: Yeah, the only country that actually preferred Romney was
3: Pakistan. Ha, because he had been on record saying he wouldn't go into Pakistan without their approval to find bin Laden? That's funny. I guess uh, so. (laughs) you know it's funny because i don't know in the american electorate if that is a good thing for obama or a bad thing for obama you know i can i can picture my conservative friend saying like of course those other countries would like romney because or would like obama because obama uh, you know is diminishing america's role in the world and you know he's got that great line which is america doesn't um, uh, oh gosh i can't remember exactly how he phrases it but basically we we um we destroy dictators, or we you know he's basically talking about america's uh you know being a, a force for good in the world during the second world war for example and and uh and and that that's um, you know that that's how America should be perceived in the world and and uh, and Obama's kind of dealing with you know what's happened since then <laughs> and and, well, and trying to acknowledge let me a little
4: that perspective on this uh mo live most of my life in the United States about. Twelve years ago, I moved overseas for business purposes. I'm in the entertainment business. And I felt like my eyes were opened up. I had no concept, as I think most Americans do, no concept whatsoever of the way we are viewed internationally, but more important, the importance that other countries place upon what we do and say because of the huge political impact we have on these other countries it's it's more than being the big brother and saying well we're going to do it my way or i'm going to beat the snot out of you you know it's got to be uh, a more recent response and realize that everything we do politically economically affects dozens of other countries around the world. And, and I think mo- most of us are more worried about, you know, getting our paycheck at home, and we don't even think about what impact we're having on these other countries.
3: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm down here in the Dominican Republic at the moment, and uh, as I drive around and talk to people and, and I'm interacting with folks, I realize, you know, all I know about the Dominican Republic is that sometimes, you know, when I go to Dodger Stadium, we see new baseball players that are there. You know, I know about Cuba uh, I know about Haiti because of a disaster that's happened in Haiti a little bit. I know I went to Jamaica once, but like, what's going on in the Lesser Antilles, or what's going on like Puerto Rico? Or, or, why is Puerto Rico almost the fifty-first state, and I don't know anything about the Dominican Republic? And I'm a relatively intelligent guy. I like to pay attention to things that are going on, and I think this is we're really close to to America right here. Imagine with you know states and countries all over the world that 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 aren't so close. The, the interesting thing is that Romney's approach to international relations um as espoused by the during his I don't know 18 primary debates I think it was or 12 or 18 a ton of primary debates that I when I watched as many of them as I could um yeah let me you know is, to... is are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay, so I think maybe Francisco was a uh, was pushing a button so it is is very much to um is to acknowledge that we have awesome power we, we're a nuclear power we have we're a huge economic engine i think that's changing uh you know i, I don't i don't know exactly how to gauge it but as china comes online uh uh, uh chris wallace reaction on presidential debate okay so i'll let, we'll look at that in a minute but um but anyhow, the, basically his idea seems to be – and he kind of backed off it in the third debate in a radical departure from everything, anything I've ever heard him do, from his stump speeches to his debate performances to uh, you know, other places where he's given formal kind of – formal remarks um, such as at the uh, – was it at the Naval Academy or the Virginia Military Institute or something? He was one of the military academies uh, recently, and I, and I listened to his speech there. And it's, it's usually like a miracle, like we can go in some place and we can lay down the law. We can, we can uh, we've can got our military, we've got our, our, you know, we can do sanctions, we've, we've got incredible, um, you know, it, it doesn't seem to focus on, on diplomacy, on the kind of fine art of communicating with someone and trying to get them to go into agreement with you other than by buying them off or fighting with them. And I, so I, you know, it, it was an interesting Argument to hear them both agree that that sanctions should be levied against Iran in order to bring them into uh, the the you know compliance of the community of nations and they both agreed on it they were in complete agreement only you know uh, Romney was sort of characterizing the state of affairs as it hasn't been done enough and Obama was saying we've never had this kind of global support for uh, for sanctions and we've never had this kind of agreement on on how to uh pursue it so like if you're if you're a kid if you're an 18 year old kid in the midwest what are you supposed to believe are you supposed to believe that iran i mean every time he kept saying they're four years closer to getting a nuclear bomb i'm like well we're four years closer to absolutely anything that wasn't there four years ago i don't understand it's like (laughs) is he saying that we that there's been something that we, there's something else we could have been doing in that four years. We, that should we have invaded Iran? That and the way he's always talked to, uh, leading up to this debate, that's you, you'd almost think like he would he'd be threatening hot war, military action, bombing, something in order to do it. But then when kind of pushed on it, when wanting to um, display a more equanimity, uh, you know, as a commander in chief, he talked about working with, with other countries. The fact of the matter is that it's the Russians and the Chinese that are making any real progress impossible there right now. And yeah. if, if the goal is to stop them from having uh, – but neither one of them really went into detail about that, I don't think. Did I miss something? No, they didn't. And uh, you know, it's interesting. They're both getting
4: security briefings on a daily basis these days. And I think what happens is they start treading into territory that they can't talk about. They have to make these vague references towards all the information that they know that we can't know, and I think that leads to a lot of the agreement that Romney suddenly has on a lot of foreign policy because now all of a sudden, as opposed to nine months ago when he's debating the the other Republicans, now suddenly he's got access to all this information, and he realizes um, there's there's a lot more going on under level that we as as uh, citizens
3: get to see I think I think I think it was a little I mean Obama most certainly from his soaring his days of soaring rhetoric and hope and change and 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 all that kind of idealism and 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 just you know rising up a a whole generation of new uh, young people who were included in the process and everything else he definitely seems to me like a guy who at the end of an administration can't talk like that because he's been in these. He's been in these um, security briefings. He's tried to move. He realized like the real world is tough. It's really hard to get people to go into agreement. And and if you can't actually do something specific to solve a particular problem, I mean you know there's Sudan. Now we've got Syria with this with the with their civil war that's happening. You've got there's problems everywhere. And you if you can't actually do something about it, it it actually you know scrubs off some of the. Um, you know the the flowery rhetoric that you can do so I, but i think it, in romney's case with this particular debate i feel like he was they went through and they said you just can't be you just can't you can't give a soundbite in the debate that can be used against you really badly you just need to get through this debate calmly because the needle has the pop and the public opinion polls in the, in the in the in the polls between the first and the second debate it's like even when obama wins the debate coming off of that catastrophic performance. In the first debate, he's like, he's sunk. Just don't just let him continue to sink himself. And as I think that's why, uh, he was able to agree because he felt like by agreeing, he looked even more presidential, you know, it, well, I agree with that. I can afford to agree with that because I'm ahead and I, and I also know the more right thing to do and whatever, whatever it is. So, um, uh, well, i am to me like
4: he's that... moving way more into a central moderate kind of position here in the last few days, and so it becomes fascinating to me that are we now seeing the real Romney who has spent the past you know year appealing to the far right and now we're seeing the real guy or is he saying what he needs to now to get the moderate vote and then we're going to end up with this this right-wing Republican. I mean, the problem with Romney is I cannot tell what I'm going to get. Well,
3: I, I heard a, an analysis that said that, um, and, and it's, it's a little. Sorry, I'm just looking at the sound coming with these guys outside the window. Um, I just, I heard it. I mean, it's very dangerous to talk about because uh, you know social issues have taken a pretty big backseat to the last. Six weeks, um, you know. And yesterday, all of a sudden, um, the the guy running for Senate in Indiana made a comment about rape. So then that kind of um, hit off some alarm bells and things. But but by and large, people have been talking about the economy, and they've been talking about this problem in Libya. And it just hasn't been much about um, abortion. It's a little bit about immigration, but but a lot of social issues that usually uh, dominate the debates and stuff just haven't been a part of it. Gun control was a question that was dismissed pretty quickly by both candidates. Um, So, and then religion, like neither guy's religion has been an issue at all. If you remember four years ago, all the candidates had to do a purple walk in front of whoever the uh, you know that one minister was with such a huge audience, and they they had to sit there and and try and. Publicly walk the line between demonstrating their faith and then, you know, showing that their faith didn't, uh, you know, intersect in the public square, you know, aggressively and it's just so awkward and uncomfortable to watch. And yet, it's very important for a lot of people. Like, if I'm going to vote for somebody who's going to be in charge of the military, I'd like to know what what his faith is. Well, somehow the Democrats haven't gone after Romney and and uh, his Mormon faith at all. They've just been hands off, and uh, and and and. and and I think, um, you know, Romney uh, during the uh, the whole uh, party did a really good, sophisticated job of humanizing him and giving him a sense of uh, you know, demonstrating his ethics with the with the missions he would go on or his life as a pastor or these kind of things. And he kind of took being more Mormon out play. So. There's this idea, you know, with John F. Kennedy, who was the first Catholic to be elected president, that was a major issue, major issue, right up until the moment of the election. And, uh, you know, what I, the analysis I heard that I thought was interesting, and it's dangerous to bring up because it seems um, uh, like a pretty low-handed, kind of, kind of a backhanded attack on the guy. But um, I think it's fair enough to invoke Mormonism and. Uh, that informs Commander Chief's thinking a little bit. Just as it was to talk about uh, Obama, and, and I, I think the, the analysis I heard was that he's so um, that it must feel so gratifying to accomplish in business, and then in the Olympics, and then as governor after his father, and then eventually as president. To legitimize a religion um, or to, to confer a different quality of legitimacy on a religion that has not been there before, which is under the more president yet, um, that, that alone is a core um, guiding feeling. You know, around which
4: the ethics
3: and the uh, morality can be um, laid. That to move back and forth on a given position, uh, to flip flop on abortion, for example, um, and he's given a very interesting explanation. A very, uh, you know, to me, it was a very credible explanation about the, the evolution of a person's thinking um, or any of these subjects that. You know you can see the other person's perspective as you go and therefore justify it as you are appealing to different constituencies and everybody knows from both sides you you go through the primary from the extreme of your party and then you go through the general moving closer to the center. So I just thought it was an interesting idea that um, you know I, I mean at this point, I think that people and you, know, you know i'm I'm for Obama, obviously. But I think that with money it could be a more reasonable than you might otherwise. Think. I mean, if you, if there's Supreme Court justices to be appointed or ju- uh, you know judges to be appointed, yeah, I think you know that if not a litmus test, you're going to get a very conservative. Um, you know, look at the at the court. Whether there's one or two, just as you got a very uh, liberal look from from Obama with sort of and you know, so. You know, and this is what our country does. We go back and forth, and we, you know, the the pendulum swings. But I don't think I don't think Romney now is as militarily radical as I thought he was before. Because the closer he gets to what you're saying, understanding those briefings, and and having to you know take a position closer and closer to it, um, you know, I I don't, I don't sense that he'll just be a, a reactive reactionary warmonger, You know, and I can't picture what. I don't know exactly what the strategy is going to be. But frankly, I don't know what the Middle East strategy is going to be from Obama either. I don't know what to do. I mean, you know, you're in Malaysia. What would you do in the Middle East? It's, it's pretty complicated.
4: Well, uh, <laughs> obviously over here, there's, um, I mean, Malaysia doesn't even have uh, uh, relationships with Israel. They don't recognize Israel as even existing uh, from a government standpoint. So uh, I get to see, you know, a very Muslim position on this kind of uh, of an issue, but I think most of the world feels like all you can do is try and show as much diplomacy as you can. If we're not talking about nuclear weapons, if we're talking about the overall conflict, that conflict's been there for 2,000 years. It's probably going to be there for 2,000 more years.
3: Uh, what we, we're talking about away. is we got to go to break in a minute, Chuck. What we're talking about is drones, $2 billion in aid to Egypt, where you station ships off the sea, what kind of military support you give to uh, the rebels in Syria. We're not we're not talking about namby pamby stuff. We're talking about what do you do to make sure that the European Union is as uh, protected as or is supported as it can be and when do you unilaterally go and do stuff? It's a it's a, you know, there are thoughts, you know, if, in the old days Four years ago, you'd know to look to the neoconservative movement and understand their global, you know, worldview, and you'd kind of basically have a sense of what was likely to happen. You know, Iraq going into Iraq wasn't that big of a shock. Going into Afghanistan right away, that wasn't surprising. And so you, what you, what now, what we're left with is like, boy, we've got carrots and we've got sticks and we've got a completely inflamed environment where there's new democracies but maybe it's by mother muslim brotherhood run you know who get the popular vote we there's we're facing some the middle east is really you know who knows exactly what the you know america should do when should we pull back and say hey it's really not for us to say when should we say we've got economic interests that can benefit everybody how do we look trilaterally with Russia and, and with china I didn't get one sense from either guy coming out of that 90 minutes. Well, that's all they were supposed to talk about, exactly how the United States of America ought to proceed going forward. I really didn't. Let's, uh, Chuck, thanks for your call, brother. We'll talk soon. and I'll get Christine got that uh, email, just so you know. Uh, okay, thanks, everybody. We'll be back in a second. We're going to reconnect to try and speed up the connection. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network.
0: Radio worth watching. The SodaStream Soda Maker is fun as hell. The kids are going to love it. There's 50 different flavors, and it's healthy. There's no fruit toast, corn syrup, or aspartame. So pick one up at Bed Bath & Beyond, Target, Macy's, Kohl's, and Walmart. Or just go to SodaStream. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network. Radio worth watching.
9: Whether it's a serious fall, fire danger, or other type of home emergency, Life Alert is there for you. The company with its slogan, Help, I've Fallen, and I Can't Get Up, protects its members. Here are some of them.
10: When you have a heart attack like I did,
1: and there's no one there, Life Alert was there for me.
2: Having a secure feeling through Life Alert is ideal.
1: My independence is possible because of it.
2: Now, Life Alert can also protect you in a fire emergency with a system that automatically notifies our monitoring center.
9: Thanks to Life Alert, you can live alone
5: without ever being alone.
9: With Life Alert protection, elderly people can avoid or delay going into a nursing facility. For a free brochure about Life Alert service, call now, 1-888-443-5588. That's 1-888-443-5588. Call Life Alert now for your free brochure at 1-888-443-5588. Are you an inventor? Or do you know an inventor who would like to attempt to have an idea or invention patented and submitted to industry? For free information on how to get started, call InventHelp toll-free at 1-800-762-7000. InventHelp is America's largest invention company. Their referrals have helped inventors secure more than 7,000 patents, and they can provide free inventors' information for you. Find out how to record your invention's date of origination and get an informative brochure and other material of interest to new inventors. Get started by calling 1-800-762-7000. Even if you have an idea for improving an existing product, you'll want to get this free inventor's information from InventHelp. Find out how to try to patent your invention and submit it to industry. Call now to get your free inventor's information. Call 1-800-762-7000. That's 1-800-762-7000. Welcome back to Vox Populi, the voice of the occasionally interested people.
0: Welcome to hour number two of Fox Populi, a political talk show for people who spend more time managing their lives than their point of view. Here's your host, Sean Astin.
4: Hello, everybody. Welcome
0: back.
3: Hey there, everybody. Sean here. I'm back. Sean Aston, uh, Vox Populi, voice of the occasionally interested people. Um, good. I sound good. Hey, I wish you sounded good. I can't hear myself. I can barely hear them. Um, I just went on to NPR for a second. Down ballot races feel the draft and drag of the presidential race. Man, there's so much. Um, it's, so, it's really hard. You know, in, in the year 2000... I was in New Zealand making The Lord of the Rings, and that was when the whole Bush v. Gore thing happened. And I remember very distinctly, you know, I got my uh, ballot, my, uh, uh, what do you call it, absentee ballot, and I had FedExed it to my father, uh, who was in Los Angeles, in West Los Angeles, and I got him to drive over the hill about a 45-minute drive to the polling place that's next to my house and hand deliver— My ballot to the school, um, you know, my absentee ballot to the school on election day. So it could be counted on election day and not just kind of mailed in, uh, and counted later. And, uh, and then, and then having to sit at dinners and, and, you know, in New Zealand, we were making the movie. We were kind of, you know, we, it was a very big deal for the country that we were there. And, uh, so we'd be, if there was ambassadors, we'd be visiting with them at dinners and, you know, it was very kind of, um, got to spend time with influential people and I remember sitting there looking at uh, these important people and having to answer why America sort of couldn't get it right with holding a free and fair election and uh, I you know so I was a good American citizen and and national and and did the best I could explaining you know what the electoral college is about and why it, it you know It isn't as awful as it might sound and, you know, concentrations of population and what the founding fathers had in mind and, you know, talking about, you know, listen, only in a a country of our size with our ideals could we um, have this kind of disagreement and have it not devolve into war and then ultimately have a peaceful transfer of power and have a court make a decision and that decision be exceeded to by. um, um, Yeah, the 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 candidate the losing candidate so anyhow um go ahead so so and now it's just funny that i'm in the dominican republic in the two weeks and i've got a political radio show and i'm missing everything i'm missing all this great uh, you know we have rough internet connection i'm actually at, a, at, a, at, a, at the office of the the production company that were doing it but the, we came out of the jungle like you know an hour to be able to get to the the connection so i uh, i just see the twitter feed going with all the different articles and everything and i Uh, So please give a call in 3236 six. What is it 626. What is it? Uh, Three, two,
4: three, six, two,
3: two, eight, six, two, three. There you go. So give a call in and and let's hear what you want to talk about. And uh, and like that, go ahead and play the Chris Wallace thing. Do you have a handy? Let's hear what Chris Wallace thought of the third debate. And then Let me know if you get those stump speeches. up yeah, Let me the, uh... first
6: give you uh, my general opinion. And, and that was I thought in the middle of the debate that if I've been on a desert island for the last four years and I had just been parachuted into this debate, I would have thought the guy that turned out to be to be Mitt Romney was the president protecting a lead and that Barack Obama was the challenger trying somewhat desperately to catch up. Obama was slashing, was personal, was cutting. Uh, I thought that Romney was big picture, uh, seemed to have much more of an agenda for the future than the president did. And I uh, emailed one of uh, his top aides in the course of the debate and said, what's behind this strategy? And clearly he was not taking the bait, not getting into fights with Barack Obama. Uh, And this
3: official said this is all Mitt Romney's idea. This is how he wants to conduct this debate. Huh. Wow. Do you have the... Obama stump speech from today. I don't have the calendar in front of me of what he's doing, but I think he's towards the end of a 48-hour uh, blitzkrieg on the uh, battleground states, and I think he started in Iowa. I th- oh, well, he's I think he's in Illinois today, or he was in Illinois this morning, and he voted uh, early voting in his own state, which I think is unprecedented for a presidential uh, for a president to cast a ballot for himself so early. Um, I-, I could be wrong about that, but I thought I heard that. Um, and then I saw the NPR thing said that both candidates were sort of bragging about the importance of early voting. And it's usually Democrats who are uh, favorite more historically. But, um, but anyway, go ahead and hit me with that uh, Obama stuff. Where is it from, Francisco? What, where, what part of, what of the country is he in on this uh, one?
4: The Virginia crowd.
3: Okay, so he went to Virginia. Let's hear what he's got to say in Virginia. Uh,
5: th- can I just say this is a nice looking crowd here. You, you may notice that my, my voice sounds just a little hoarse. We are right in the middle of our 48-hour fly-around campaign extravaganza. We, we pulled an all-nighter last night. We just came from Florida. We were in Iowa and Colorado and Nevada before that. We're heading up to Ohio later today. And I'm going to stop in my hometown of Chicago to vote. I, I, I can't tell you who I'm voting for because it's a secret ballot. But the, the, the good news is Michelle said she voted for me. She did. And I've come to Virginia today to ask you for your vote just 12 days from now. I need your vote. I've come to ask for your help in keeping America moving forward. You've now seen three debates, months of campaign events, and way too many TV commercials. So you've heard what the argument's about here. You understand what the choice is. You've heard Governor Romney's sales pitch. He's been running around, no, no, don't boo, vote. He's been running around saying he's got a five-point plan for the economy. Turns out it's a one-point plan. Folks at the very top get to play by a different set of rules than you do. They, They get to pay a lower tax rate. They get to outsource jobs. They, they want to roll back Wall Street reforms that we put in place to make sure we don't have taxpayer-funded bailouts. That was his philosophy in the boardroom. That was his philosophy as governor. And if it sounds familiar, it's because that's exactly what we tried in the last decade. Before I came into office, it led to falling incomes and record deficits and the slowest job growth in half a century and the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. We have now been working for four years to clean up the mess those policies left behind. And and now, now Governor Romney wants to take us back to those policies, but he knows that they're probably not very popular. He knows his plan isn't any different than the policies that got us into trouble. So in the final weeks of this election, uh, he's counting on you forgetting.
3: Okay. He, go ahead and stop. He's it. hoping. Alright, do you have one from Romney?
5: Yeah, scaring it up, yeah.
3: Uh, where and this is from today?
4: Uh yeah, the twenty fifth, yeah.
3: And where is he?
4: Doesn't say. I'm looking for uh, some heads up on it, it doesn't say. It just says it uh October twenty fifth. But All it's right, a go big ahead change.
6: Our campaign is about big things. Because we happen to believe that America faces big challenges. We recognize this is a year with a big choice, and the Americans want to see big changes, and I'm going to bring it to this country, this big choice coming up. These challenges are big challenges. This election is therefore a big choice. And America wants to see big changes, and we're going to bring big changes. I'll put us on a new path, a big change path. The big change path, big change from that path, big change Paul Ryan and I represent. Do you want real big change in this
3: country? Wait, stop, stop it for a sec. Francisco, where Maybe was that, where was that from? Speech. That's a, that sounds like a democratic compilation yes, to make him sound does. bad. Sorry. Do you know where it was from?
4: No, no, I don't. I'm, I'm looking right now. There's not much on it.
3: I will go ahead and find, see if you can find, I'll talk for a minute, but I want to play some, you know, legit thing. Yeah. It's funny because we played the Chris Wallace speech about saying that he, you know, if you dropped in from outer space, that it sounded like Romney was protecting a lead and Obama was fighting, trying, you know, desperately to sort of get it. And then you listen to Obama talking with his voice, uh, hoarse after going to all those different States and going to Florida and then going to Virginia and they're on their way to Ohio and he had been to Illinois and all this kind of stuff and he it's it kind of sounds like Chris Wallace is right he sounds kind of desperate um, uh, you know I don't know if that's a an inadvertent if what, what that quality is about because obviously the guy's hustling and he's trying I remember Bill Clinton at the end of uh, the campaign in ninety two you know could barely could barely manage a, a whisper. Um, but it just seemed like with the bus tour without Gore and with with his you know energy and everything else that he was just killing himself to get across the finish line. And I think people appreciated that. I don't know if that's what's happening right now or not. But uh, um, but uh, it is a little surprise. I mean, he's the president of the United States. So when he finishes a debate or he finishes a campaign swing, I don't know if he can sit back and relax and sort of absorb things, or if if Romney can do that or not, or if he has to you know. I don't know what else he has to do. It seems like he's pretty focused and committed to the campaign. Um, but, you know, he's still the president of the United States. But it's just, um, it's just interesting to see that Romney looks fresher um, than, uh, than Obama. So I'm not prepare, prepared to uh, admit you got it. So what, where, where was the Romney speech today that you're going to play in Ohio? Cincinnati. Cincinnati, Ohio. And this is today. Okay, let it rip.
6: Or as uh, Joe Biden would say here in Iowa. I'm I'm delighted to be here with so many friends and with Senator Rob Portman. What a great senator. What a great friend. And thank you for welcoming us here today. Now, if you haven't been real busy the last few weeks, you've had the chance to watch a few debates, which I enjoyed a great deal. I have to be honest with you. These uh, these debates really have propelled our campaign across the country, and in some respects, I think they've they've diminished the Obama campaign because he has now uh, resorted to uh, talking about saving characters on Sesame Street and uh, word games, um, and uh, and of course he uh, he continues to launch these misdirected attacks at me and. He knows they're not accurate, and they're not making much progress for him. And so his campaign gets smaller and smaller, focused on smaller and smaller things. Our campaign is about big things, because we happen to believe that America faces big challenges. We recognize this is a year with a big choice, and the Americans want to see big changes, and I'm going to bring it to this country. Is a, uh, this is a, a defining election, I believe. It's an election which defines a great deal about the country, but it's also defining about the American families and defining about your family. I say that because the choice that will be made, this big choice coming up, will have an impact on you and your family. If you're a senior, for instance, or if you have a senior that you're caring for. If President Obama were to get reelected and that senior were to need the care of a medical specialist, you might call the appointment secretary of the doctor and say, I'd like to make an appointment and and be told, I'm sorry, we're not taking any more Medicare patients. Because under Obamacare, some 50 percent of America's doctors are saying they won't accept new Medicare patients. Now, if I'm president, when I'm president,
3: we're going to... Go ahead and stop. Wow. Holy mackerel. You know what I've been doing while we are listening to those two clips of the president and Governor Romney campaign in their stump speeches? Um, I've been sitting here on the CNN electoral map, election center. Can you put that up, Johnny? It's, uh, it's CNN com forward slash election forward slash 2012 or slash eleculator. Eleculator. anyhow, it's uh, it's amazing. You can basically just sit around and you can click on the different states, and you can it's very you feel very powerful. You can click on, for example, Ohio, and you can make it leaning Obama, or you can make it uh, leaning Romney, or you can make it undecided, or you can you can dedicate it to them, and you can uh, and they've got two seventy two hundred seventy votes, which is the number of electoral votes that you need to win to become the next president. And you can see which you know how much each one's uh, each state has. Ohio has a late eighteen electoral votes. And if um, you know you can you can look at the public opinion polls. It's just amazing. It's just amazing how like right now, if you take uh, Florida out of the picture and Colorado out of the picture, and take Nevada, meaning make them undecided, so that those votes aren't counted for on the on the list here. Take out Pennsylvania. Take out uh, Virginia. It's just amazing. Like, what's going to happen in in? in uh, they were talking about a firewall. The, the pundits were talking about a firewall. Like, it, it's just amazing how much of the country is quote unquote red, and how much of the country, how little of the country in terms of space on the map is quote unquote blue. But if you have uh, California fifty five, Oregon seven, and Washington twelve, you're just smoking. it And then if you have the Northeast, which is a very liberal area, twenty nine in New York, eleven in Connecticut. Seven. It's just it's a really fun game. I would encourage anyone who likes uh, Vox Populi to get on to the CNN electoral map game and and mess around. And it beca- it's very interesting that 18 votes in Ohio. You know, you hear so much about Ohio and how much money they're spending in um, uh, uh, in the in that state. But Ohio and Pennsylvania, just those two alone, 18 in Ohio and 20 in Pennsylvania, they just about make the whole difference in the, in the map, depending on on how you look at it, but based on the reasonable thing. Um, anyhow, sorry, I was, I was focused on that. What does anybody think? You know, what do y'all think of the, uh, of those two stump speeches of where they're going? According to the news media, it's down to a game of chess that basically all of the convincing has been done. All of the mind changing has been done. Now, you know, almost everybody knows who they're going to vote for. And now it's the GOTV, Get Out the Vote. And who's got the best Get Out the Vote campaigns? And um, yeah, I wonder, does, does everybody else get the emails from the campaigns asking for donations? Now they'll send emails that say um, you've donated whatever, zero dollars or Five hundred dollars, or I guess the most you can do is twenty-five hundred bucks. But um, hold on, just looking to see what you said there. Uh, unknown caller, yeah, jump on it. Hello. Hey, Brett, how you doing, buddy? It's Sean. Hey. Wow, had a hard time getting through today. Uh, um, you know, Francisco has been doing really focused no, no. research cool. on the camera, on the on the the, the screening on can't you know his left <laughs> so he hasn't probably been looking at the phone as much um the, the fact that we were even talking while you're in the dominican republic is just awesomely cool and don't worry about it He's uh, all point. right so you know listen i'm i feel like i'm a, a, a I was gonna say a man without a country that's not what i meant i feel like i'm uh in a pretty remote locale not just physically but like what should we what do you want to talk about so you know I'm just wandering through some of these ideas. I feel like I should probably be with my little radio and going out into a marketplace somewhere, and just asking the man on the street, what he, uh, he or she thinks. You know, it's well, wandered you
2: around so much. And now I have so little
3: time I can talk. I'm not even sure. <laughs> um, what do you, what do you think I, about the electoral map? That's what I just kind of wandered into this last few minutes.
1: Well, you know, I've, that's always been
2: something that that's kind of weighed heavily on me. Um, it, it's so uh, what's the right word. It, it, it makes you think that that any any time we're doing anything democratic, it's just so wrong by based on what the rest of the country thinks. And I actually had this conversation. My daughter's in a in a civics class uh, this year, um, and um, we had this discussion. Why is the map all red, and yet we have a, a a Democrat president? And tried to make her understand how it works with the amount of people. And she says, "Well, that doesn't make any sense. It just should be about state by state." And I'm like, yeah, but in that case, then there would never be a Democrat. I mean, you know, it, it has to go by, you know, the, the number of votes. And I tried to explain the electoral college to her, et cetera. And, 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 that? and as an amusing side note, I'm about to have a meeting uh, later this, this next week with uh, the guy who decides who our textbooks are because their civics book was so bad, I was actually almost yelling at my daughter while she was doing uh, homework yesterday.
3: That's helpful. <laughs>
2: it, it wasn't her fault but man it was just so bad it was the, so wrong. Play the game with me for a minute.
3: Play the game with me. What what um have you been looking at the polls have you been watching the news and seeing like what's going to happen in Minnesota? What's going to happen in Wisconsin? What's going to happen in Michigan? Those seem like if if like if Obama gets those 3 then all he needs is Ohio and he wins uh it's it's
2: it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a close one and and on the one hand i kind of welcome that cuz it just means that more people are involved and and it's not a landslide but on the other hand i don't want another gore bush fight <laughs> i really don't um so you know i hope it's decisive enough one way or the other that we don't have to get into that argument again um so who do you think's you know, going to win the election? a lot's going to happen these last 2 weeks i mean it it depends
3: well, play the game with me. Guess if you were if it was happening today.
2: Well, like for instance, uh, uh, Scarlett and I were were chatting back and forth a little bit about uh, about Libya, and you know there there have been some some pundits and and tinfoil hat type people that have opined that one of the reasons why they didn't bring up Libya is because there's some concern um, that they they found two uh, uh, training camps in Libya that are kind of out remotely, the FBI has identified, and that we might get some late October surprise attack on that so that the Obama administration can go, see, look, this was our plan all along. This is why we kept quiet, et cetera.
3: Boy, that's pretty simple, Hattie. Yeah. I mean, you've got to wonder why Obama and Hillary and Panetta – have been so, like, absent from this debate. I mean, unless, unless they feel as though it's not having an appreciable impact, but the, the, the noise is getting pretty loud against them. I, mean, I, I think that either they do have something in mind where
2: they are going to pull something out close to the election, um, or they know they really screwed up, and saying anything is just going to bring more bad press to it. Um, in, in light of some of the emails that were uh, released recently, and, and the fact that uh, apparently they were watching the attack real time, um, it, it's, it's pretty, pretty damning. Um, you well,
3: know, did you say attacks. something on the Twitter feed about how? Oh no, no, it was Jason who said it. He basically said that, that Obama failed to provide assistance when he was watching it in real time. Well, and Hannity's, well, yeah, one of the Hannity's, Hannity's that I like, oh,
2: they—he—he—it wasn't over quickly. And we had two different rapid reaction forces that were within an hour away, that could have been sent to help. Um, one, one a, a team off of a carrier, and then we had a team in Spain that could have been there within an hour. Um, so that's kind of alarming, um, you know, as to why you wouldn't send somebody in to
3: to, to try and save those people. Uh, Would it be because mention, I mean, you want to like? Be careful about the sovereignty of the country, and if you, don't, if you don't have a good communication with the government there and you don't get permission ahead of time, you have a uh, – You I don't mean, have it, to. Not, I mean, from Sean Hannity and from Jason, it's like dereliction of duty time is what they're accusing I, him of. As, as, a, as, as
2: a former member of the armed forces, uh, I agree. I, I think the, the paramount thing is to protect our people, and any time you let them hang, uh, I think you've done a disservice to everybody who's ever worn the uniform um, if there's a way to help them. Now, if there wasn't, okay but if you've got a way to do it well, that's you know, it the, the part of it. that
3: sentence that isn't accusing the president of some sort of you know impeachable offense was not as strong as the first part of that sentence well, it's like
2: all right, all right i don't think it's an impeachable offense but i think it is it, it is an unconscionable a, a offense uh, you know i it, it it isn't it isn't a high crime or misdemeanor um but it is it is letting down people who in the end you're the commander in chief of, and in the end it's your ultimate responsibility, even though I do believe it was it was all the secretary of state's call i mean that's her call as to how security runs with that and and I think she was absolutely correct to fall on her sword about that. Um, but in the end, if they were watching that live, if if they knew what was going on and they had rapid reaction forces close, they should have done something.
3: Well, because you know, uh, point, Hannity, Hannity would have you believe that – would have the world believe that um, Obama went to sleep.
2: Yeah, you know, Hannity can't find his butt with both hands. I don't really care what he thinks. And, and that's coming from a stone conservative. Okay, the guys. A, a lot a of talking, conservatives
3: would think that he point. was more interested in going on the View or going getting on a plane and going to Nevada or going to wherever, and that and that he was not uh, that he was not he didn't have seriousness of purpose about doing the commander in chief jobs that it was delegated to people in the chain of command, and and that's that. Well,
2: the the commander in chief job should have been done within the first eight hours. What he was doing a week or two later, uh, you know. Well, I'm is, saying is, in that, for so what I'm trying to
3: get way. at is. Does the, pre- is the Should the President of the United States be legitimately exposed to criticism for an inability to be the Commander-in-Chief in real time during the battle as it was happening?
2: Well, you know, Mr. Truman said it. The buck stops here. Well. He is ultimately responsible. And if they saw it live and if they saw it real time – so within.
3: with the with SEAL Team 6 in position, and they're looking to the White House to give the go order because it has to go into Pakistan, right? Didn't it have to go into Pakistan? And mm-hmm. Pakistan's a sovereign country, and, and he, had a, he had a campaign pledge to go into Pakistan without permission if it meant they could get bin Laden, as opposed to Romney, who said that he would not do that, and he didn't think Romney we should Romney was wrong. Something. Who was wrong? Romney was wrong.
2: Romney was wrong on that. Absolutely. Oh, I know, but, but, but imagine
3: if SEAL Team 6 went in there and they were all killed. If they were and, all killed, then bil- that's what happens. That's, that's the job. Okay, that, but see, look at, the, look at the amount of – look at the assumption that you're willing to give the president in that scenario, that you deny him in the Libya scenario.
2: Because the job is to go in and get the job done. Inaction is not acceptable.
3: Well, but sometimes it, you know, do, at first, do no harm. The if if the if the action them. you're going to take is going to maybe cause, you know, suppose I mean, you hate to think that you'd have an ambassador to the United States of America be a sacrificial lamb, but if you go in, and I'm not, I don't even know what the calculus is. I don't even understand frankly like, what the operation was. I saw the I saw the the lines on the. The map about where the guys could have come from Spain and where the guy, you know, what the drone could have done or could have not done from or moving those ships in. I mean, I saw some of the the you know things that might have been available, tools that might have been available to the president. But if you there was say, a carrier if,
2: within range, they could have set a rapid reaction force from there as well.
3: Right at the and and with or without the the um, as much as a buyer leave from the newly elected Libyan government.
2: You know, the, Muslim the newly elected Muslim Libyan brotherhood government is hiring invasion. outside militias to to help us. They're not really a factor. That They wouldn't have been able to stop us.
1: But here's they were the less thing. of a factor here's than the going
2: into Pakistan was. Pakistan's a nuclear power. Yeah, if he but had the chutzpah but to go into Pakistan, he should have absolutely had no problem going to Libya.
3: And I, and I, th- I think, comparatively, Pakistan, which has lots of problems, you have to worry about nuclear uh, security of their nuclear arsenal. There's many, many, many problems in Pakistan. But right. by comparison, the volatility of Libya, Egypt, Syria, uh, Yemen—you know that that little cocktail of insanity that's going on with civil war and governments—if the United States you know, reacts forcefully to protect its dipl- diplomacy. Imagine a week later, or three weeks later, when the rest of the country is going, the United States did, you know, at least they had a UN thing in 91 agreement in place before they went into Iraq. At least, you know, the, whether you agree that it was right or not to go in for weapons of mass destruction, the Congress had voted to give the President an incredible amount of authority after 2001, after September 11th. But here, For the United States, when they didn't really take a front row position on uh, Libya when it was – when they were trying to get rid of Gaddafi, they were, quote, unquote, leading from behind, if you go with Romney's rhetoric. For us to, like, unilaterally go in there, boots on the ground, you know, maybe we save the the, the ambassador, maybe we don't. Oh, my gosh, now you've opened yourself up. Now you've got the entire – now the EU has oh, sort on, of plausible two, two deniability. Facts. You know, they, they, they can sort of have a political co- – we just gave them political cover. Like, what is the geostrategic advantage versus the ta- immediate tactical thing? What, what's the right thing to do?
2: It isn't geostrategic. It's completely military. First of all, them attack anybody attacking our soil is an act of war. All bets are off with the EU or anybody else – when somebody attacks
3: your not embassy off.
2: directly. No, I
3: mean, you have a, we true. have a relationship with whatever the host country is, and it's this, the this host true, country's responsibility it, to secure it. If you attack
2: our embassy, physically
3: attack our embassy, it's an act of war. Always has been throughout
2: time. It, that's the whole basis of an embassy. You cannot attack an embassy, first of all. Second of all… Going back to the Pakistan discussion, we went in with the SHIELD team and took out a guy less than four miles away from their equivalent of West Point in a nuclear power. We could have been on the ground for hours in Libya before they could have amounted anything, even approaching an organized counterattack, and we would have been gone. Whether or not I'm talking about the politics not- of it the, and what, that, and
3: what the, po- the, the, the military fallout, political fallout is going – going forward
2: i don't think that you have that kind of fallout that you think that there's going to be because it's a it again it's an act of war you can't attack somebody's uh, embassy
3: so put me I in a that, situation that's flat
2: out it if, if we were to do the, the same thing we'd be who's at war our sec- with any country who's our, na- on Earth.
3: who's our national security advisor right now i don't even know who's who i mean it used to be secretary rice and then it was is it like an admiral who's who's our secretary of uh, who, who's our our national security advisor do you
2: know. <laughs> you know what you catch me with my hands down i don't know
3: no, nobody knows. <laughs> How is it that nobody knows right now? Somebody knows. You know, somebody it's really situation. sad that
2: I don't know because foreign policy is kind of my thing. Um, I just haven't – I've been paying more attention to the election than, than who's running things
3: right now. Uh, I'm just looking it up real quick while we're talking about it. Wait, I'll bet somebody's already on Twitter telling us. Um, sorry, going up to the top here. Who's our national security advisor? It's not a countertext about fallout. See – oh, actually, people are agreeing with us. Um, okay, so so what I'm getting at is – if I'm in the Situation Room, and my National Security team and Leon Panetta's there, and Hillary Clinton's there, and we're all trying to do, you know, on a close, close conversation, close, you know, she's in the State Department on the monitor, and I'm in the thing. Right? What are they saying to me? Right now, we're under, we're under siege. We we know in real time we're getting we're getting cables right that say they're out. Do we know exactly what they say? Everybody acts like we know everything. Do we know exactly yeah, what they we said? We don't know exactly what was
2: going on, uh, not to my knowledge anyways. We just know that they were uh, – somebody has leaked that it, it was live in the Situation Room. I just get I mean, these uh,
3: snarky emails. Oh, Tom, Tom, D-O-N-I-L-O-N, Tom Donilon, Tom Donilon, Tom Donilon, Tom Donilon, Tom Donilon. May, may or may not be our uh, <laughs> our uh, national security advisor. Hold on, wait, D I've known every
2: national security uh, advisor since Reagan, and I don't know who Obama's is.
3: Tom Donnellan, uh is the national security advisor in the Obama administration and has had a career of a US, as a U.S. political advisor, government analysis, and lawyer. Previously served together uh, with diplomat Wendy Sherman as agency review team lead for the State Department in the Obama administration. And as deputy and, and that's a national security se- advisor? All right. This is a, well, what are you going to do? Um, Oh, make, let me see what my guys really tell me. Sure. All right, so, so put me in that. Oh, Susan Rice, uh, Senior Advisor for National Institute. No, now she's Ambassador of Fra- Fra- uh, Francisco. She's an uh, ambassador to the United Nations. now. So, okay, so put me in that room, and they're saying we're getting – I keep getting these snarky emails saying, like, oh, didn't you read these cables? You don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, okay, well, let me go and read the cable. And I read the cable, and basically there was one either the day of or the day before from the ambassador saying um, – that that the, the the security situation had deteriorated and was asking for re, reinforcements. Right. Um, so, but that's not the same thing as saying like you know the 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 barbarians are at the gate and they're coming in. So I don't know. I, I just that's, don't have the information. That's not, pretty not, close.
2: They're saying the barbarians at the gate and we we think that they might attack.
3: That's what that's saying. Well, but it's not what you're saying in terms of the president making a decision in real time. No, no. I mean, I'm
2: saying after the fact. They know the attack's going on. They know they got rapid. Uh, uh, quick reaction forces from two different locations—they can get there within an hour or two—and uh, and you got to think beyond just the lives of the people that's there. I know that's, that's a terrible thing because that's paramount. But there's a there's a ton of intelligence and, and other things that are that are also there. I mean, you our ciphers, who our informants
3: are in the area, people who are probably all now dead. Uh, but this is a well orchestrated. Al-Qaeda style, whether it's actual Al-Qaeda or a uh, group that functions like Al-Qaeda, I don't think – people act like they know. Do we know for sure that it was Al-Qaeda? Um, you know I, there was an Al-Qaeda then, guy, if I remember correctly, that took, uh, took credit for
2: it, uh, but I don't know much about him specifically.
3: Well, apparently uh, we have one person in that we've, we've, well, we've captured, one person who may be right. a senior Al-Qaeda or affiliate or whatever that, that has been charged. Well, you know, the other thing
2: is they didn't, get, they didn't even get the FBI in there for weeks. You know, and I mean, that's a lot of intelligence stuff that gets left behind. We should have been in there to clean that up as quickly as possible.
3: Stay on point with me for a second here. I mean, you talk about having a bigger view. We have guys in Afghanistan today, I don't know about today specific, but, you know, any given day over the last few weeks where there's an attack and a killing of several American soldiers by a green force that we trained that was actually – that turned on us. And we don't find we don't find ourselves saying, "Hey, the commander in chief should have known with their intelligence that a guy that we trained, who's in our own thing, had this or the other intentions." Right? You're not blaming the president well, of the United States for that. Was, we got was, was the commander in chief diplomatic...
2: watching the attack real time, and was he in charge? Did he have what? five hours to do something? Well. I think you're talking about a different situation. It's apple, apples to oranges, and also that's a war zone. So you've got to assume that he can assume that he's got boots on the ground and proper military forces to to respond to any kind of action that happens. Um, you know and i don 't blame i don't i don 't blame the the President when Operation Red Wing went bad and we lost people i don 't you know i mean that's that 's a war zone this wasn 't a war zone this this was uh, you know what was supposed to be a relatively peaceful location you had a an ambassador who asked for reinforcements or at least some sort of of security. And, and we had an incident take place. They saw the incident take place. Within two hours of the incident, they got information that it's a it's a it's a, some sort of terror attack. But the narrative that they spin for the next two weeks is that it has something to do with the film. And, and that's when the whole situation starts to look bad. But this is what you know? I'm I mean, saying. It, the, you can't the, at that there, point just go, we made there, a
3: mistake. There was a film. And whether or not there was actually um, – A copycat riot or a a faux riot, a, a, a staged pretend riot or no riot at all outside of the embassy in Benghazi. Throughout the Muslim world, people were, even though the film had been on the Internet since June or July, people were exercised about it. People were out in the streets, whether they were paid to be out in the streets, whether they were not. Public opinion in those hours was being engaged sure. with this uh, relative to this thing, this video, but only so, one
2: embassy and, and one safe house were being attacked.
3: Right, but Egypt, we had you know a, a un, you know a a, a a public relations alert being sent out from a from an embassy in Cairo without approving it through the chain of command, basically apologizing for the video and sort of trying to calm the nerves of the people who are outside screaming and yelling in Cairo. Right, that's happening at the same time. And it's happening in Yemen. Mm-hmm. Right? That It's really happening.
2: So I, I, I don't disagree, but only one embassy was getting attacked. That's where the focus needed to be. In my opinion, oh, shaking I, on the I, think, I would hard. love to stay on the phone, but I have to go pick my daughter up from school. All right, go. go. I appreciate so to, the call. Thank cut you cut for keeping the, it interesting, and, as to, always,
3: Brett. Uh, goodbye until next week. Okay, goodbye until next week. All right. All have, right. A, have, a, have a great uh, whatever it is you're doing. <laughs>
4: uh,
3: uh, Making a little horror movie. All righty. Bye bye. <laughs> um, you know, these kind of questions to me, these kind of conversations, Whoa, well, now that Brett is gone, now that, he's, now that I got him off the line, boy, let me tell you what I really think. Um, there are so many levels. Yeah, go ahead and answer 701. Hello? Hi. Hey, this is Sean. You're on the air. Who's this? Hi, this is
10: Heidi from North Dakota.
3: Heidi, you've become a loyal. Talk to me. What do you think? Were you listening to Brett? You got something else you want to talk about?
10: Both. I was listening to Brett, and there is something else I wish to speak about. Shoot. Um, first go first, on Brett. First of all, what I think is being ignored by a lot of people is that riot that was ongoing at the time of the attack. There were a lot of innocents out there, and if we had gone in, and if any, any of those innocents, if any of those innocents had been killed by our military, it would have been like igniting a flash pot. It would have just ignited the entire Middle East. Because they were, whether or not they were paid to be on the street or whatever, but they were on the street, they were innocent lives, they were out there protesting a film, an American film about anti-Muslims, and they would have just been, killing them just ignited a flashpot. pot. The military action had to be extremely well thought out, and I just still think that there's a lot that we are not being told because there's so many factors that we need to look at that I haven't heard raised.
3: Well, just... I just want to make sure I understood what you just said. The, the innocent people who are in the streets, there's there's a lot of discrepancy now. Uh, are you talking about in Benghazi or are you talking about Cairo and the other places?
10: I'm talking at the consulate.
3: Right. The, it's That's, being asserted right. now that there was no actual protest going on outside. And I haven't – and I've heard, I've heard people speak very authoritatively about that, but I don't – I haven't seen it from any – I don't. I don't know that. I'm sitting here today, doing this interview on this, or doing this radio show. I have no idea whether or not people were outside rioting the the consulate or the embassy in Benghazi. I don't know if they if there were people there. I don't know if they were there because they were reacting to the video, or whether they were paid to be there, if they were a formal like, um, you know, distraction thing. I don't. I don't. But, there, but this has been called into question, and everybody acts like we we should we should know. I mean, you listen to Sean Hannity and you listen to some of the guys on Fox news and, and uh, you know, it's almost like the president had a lawn chair sitting there watching it on TV and was, you know, just kind of, you know, shrugging his shoulders at what was going on. But I, I think that people, I agree with you that people seem to be not paying attention to the fact that regardless of the timing of it, meaning that video had been on the internet for a month or two, regardless of that, people were spinning up about it at that moment, and the administration needed to respond in some way to that in order to try and slow whatever you know uh, collateral you know continuing escalating drama there would have been from from that video and from America's seeming to um, uh, go into agreement with the idea that it's okay for people to do those sorts of videos and and not being I mean they were you know it, I think it was right for the United States of America to try and tell other people that this was not a formal video that was sanctioned by the United States government, that we condemned it as a, as a uh, you know, an, an insult, and that at the same time, there's no uh, – nobody has a right to sort of create violence based on their upset about it. So that kind of – that dual track, like the fact that that is an actual thing that was actually happening – and then there's this other thing of like our embassy was under attack and apparently we were hearing about it in real time and, and apparently decisions were made for uh, you know for, for better or worse to do or to not do certain things and and I it um, the fact that Hillary isn't saying anything isn't I don't understand why people say she fell on her sword, because to me, to accept responsibility for it, even though she clearly didn't do it on what she didn't do it, she's accepting responsibility, saying that decisions they made, which are obviously well-intentioned decisions, decisions that were, they tried to make, you know, calculated decisions about how much money and how many, how much weaponry and how do you do it, you know, it was, it was a bad, it was made, possibly decisions were made that were not the right decisions, and she accepts responsibility for that, but, that's not the attack that's being made. people are saying that somebody was negligent, you know like willfully uh intentionally ambivalent about you know re- reacting in a, in a in a reasonable amount of time. That's basically what uh, Brett was saying so i i think that I probably maybe am I buying enough caveats here to uh, agree with you that like, if you take uh, precipitous action, even though I understand that it's American soil and it's attack on American soil, that it could cause other problems, unintended consequences that would ultimately, you know, cost more blood and more treasure in the United States. So I don't know if Obama made the right decision. I don't know. I just feel like it's a very political thing for the news organizations to be expecting, um, full accounting of details when there may be still very sensitive, um, you know, national security, you know, close hold top secret operations going on. It just is a very, it's, it's the nature of the political movement, but I just wish I could hear more voices stand up and and say, you know, like you should be cognizant of that stuff. Um, what was the other thing you were thinking about?
10: Actually, I was thinking about the war on women, and I know that's an, another phrase that a lot of people aren't enjoying to hear, but to me, that's exactly what I'm seeing in, in the news media coming from some of these Republicans. Um, Murdoch and just what he said about if a woman is raped and becomes pregnant, that, well, that's what God intended because that's, you know,
1: it's what God
10: intended. Again, as a person of faith, I don't believe that. And whether or not you agree with what Murdoch has to say, this is my point. Romney t- was saying on the news this morning, Romney was saying that he disagrees with Murdoch. He doesn't believe that. He doesn't believe that pregnancy through rape is what God intended. Um, but he also refuses to pull his endorsement of, of Murdoch, and he also refuses to pull the the ads where he's endorsing Murdoch in, in the district. So to me, that just seems to me that words, you know, that actions speak louder than words, and that... By by refusing to pull his endorsement, he's actually supporting Murdoch and what Murdoch advocated you know, words against women.
3: Well, I was also thinking of uh, Aiken, Um, the the, the congressman who's running for Senate in, where is it, in Michigan or something? Or against, is it against Claire McCaskill? Um, But anyway, he was the one who made the comment about forcible rape. You know, right. and that the yeah. that the woman's body has the ability to um um all right, let's let's see if we can do this. Uh, Heidi, hold the line, don't go anywhere. If we hang up on you, call back. Okay, hold the line. Go ahead and answer 701 and then I'll I'll say hello and then put them on hold and we'll go back to Heidi.
0: She is seven oh one.
3: Oh she's seven oh one. Oh is that it? Oh okay. So let's let's stay with Heidi. Heidi you still there? Uh-huh. Heidi? Okay, sorry about that. Um Okay, so it's funny because I want to locate um, my criticisms or my judgment about somebody in their positions effectively. And I feel like it's a distraction with Murdoch to uh, over-analyze that one statement, that one component. You know, he, he was clumsy. He didn't have a vocabulary for it you know, I don't think he was trying to say that women, you know, that God wants some women to be raped. I think it's, it just shows the limitations of certain uh, theological vocabulary, because you'd like to believe that, you know, if something happens, you say, well, God had it in mind. It doesn't mean God gave permission for that to happen, but, you know, so so then you bring in free will and but the point is, the guy wouldn't fund Planned Parenthood. The guy doesn't not believe that um, abortions under uh, rape or incest are uh, um, legitimate grounds for a woman to have the right to choose to get that procedure and terminate that pregnancy. That's it. That's it. That's what that guy thinks. Romney thinks the exact same thing. He said it. He said he would defund Planned Parenthood right away if he can. And he said that, you know, in Massachusetts, when he had a pro-choice stance, that when a bill came before him that would uh, authorize the taking of life, as he would put it in his definition of when a life begins, he couldn't sign it. So we don't have to say can – does his support this or does his commercials that. The fact is Republicans in this election cycle are mercenary. When it comes to making statements, they almost to a person said about Aiken that he should get out of the race. He was damaging the race. They didn't stand behind him. They disagreed with what he said, and he shouldn't be a U.S. senator. The guy said, I don't care. I'm staying in the race. And then once the time limit passed where where they couldn't replace him with another potential Republican candidate, they all started coming back and helping him quietly. And a couple of people, watchdogs on the left, point out, hey, wait a minute. You guys are now paying for it? This is what this guy said. But in the popular consciousness, that outrage had subsided. And it takes a lot of energy to get up old outrage. We need new outrage. So, okay, so now you've got the senator and I, or this, this guy uh, running for Senate in Indiana. My friend actually was, uh, is running against him, uh, Joe Donnelly, who I support and I've campaigned for. You know, and and he's and here he's made a statement that is a flashpoint statement and everybody gets all spun out. of it. Well, don't don't need to wait for one statement from one guy. That guy's made lots of statements. His position is crystal clear. You know, we the fact that we wait for something to excite us to be able to move. I mean, that's almost what maybe could have happened in Benghazi. This the Al Qaeda attacks. If it's Al Qaeda, let's say for the sake of example, al-qaeda or an al-qaeda like example they attack an outpost they get however many 7 10 15 20 30 guys to go in there with weapons that they got from who knows where the black market who knows where they they do it you know what they would love an overreaction from the united states of america they would love for us for for and i'm just as guilty of it i i see that happen and i want my president to come out and pound the lectern and say, this will not stand, and to deploy or whatever, an aircraft carrier, I don't know what the right piece of equipment would be, but I want my president to invade that country and say, you're not going to do that to me. You're not going to kill my ambassador. That's what my, my you know, temperament, my, my inflamed temperament wants, my anger. But we shouldn't need that when it comes to something like pro-choice and pro-life. We know what the people stand for. They're very clear about it. It's very clear to see where their money comes from to support their campaign. You can go on YouTube and pull down any number of speeches. So the fact that elections in this country come down to a, a harried, uh, panicked last few days where people are running around like chickens with their heads up, cut off, just trying to get the last few people to do the last few things, it's unnecessary. They have a record. And, you know, half the people listening to my voice right now, or at least the, those who are supporting Romney are saying, yes, Obama has a record. You can look at it and you can vote against it. It's very clear. And the people who listen to Obama say they – so I, it just is annoying to me that what we're really doing in these moments that you are describing right now based on this new attack is we're letting Fox News and MSNBC and CNN jog us for their own – we, we are emotionally – uh, available citizens and we can and we will react when provoked and so you take a comment like that and you provoke and you spin it up it would be an interesting thing to go through why don't the, the, the John Stewart people or whoever the, the good people are out there put together the list of what I'm sure are hundreds of statements that are similar. The guy didn't make that statement for the first time in his life yesterday but for some reason and you know what it is, it, it fits in with the overall narrative it gives people adrenaline, and that adrenaline stokes us. I don't know. To me, the issue should be important enough that we understand who we are and what we want going forward, that we don't allow ourselves to be swayed in the last minute or to allow ourselves to feel like so desperate at the last minute. Oh, my gosh, this guy might be able to get in, and he makes this kind of statement, and we're so emotional. No, we should – if we really believe something, let's, let's – Go out. I mean, you guys, my audience is great. My audience is immune, from is inoculated from this criticism because on this program, we try. We, we, everybody has pretty strong opinions. We have our way that we do research. We have our way that we debate. But when you look into the broader public and people who don't give a rat's ass about this stuff most of the time, you know, it's infuriating. But it shouldn't be new. They, these guys are on record saying this. Should, you know, it's a gotcha question. How can we zap uh, Romney? quickly to try and push back some of those opinion polls, by saying, well, he's still continuing to endorse this guy. Well, they're, they're you know, they've got immunity from that. It's the, the boat has sailed. Now it's just a question of the, the margins. How many people that already agree are gonna show up on the event. That's my thought. What do you think, honey? Give me something else to think of.
10: I think this is, we need to use this to remind people. Of where, this, of where they stand where they stand at on this issue. And I think it has fallen off the public's you know, perspective. I mean, people have an attention span of the 6 o'clock news. And so we need to continuously remind people, this is how they voted, this is how they're going to be. And I, I just can't fathom why people would think that a woman who has been raped, becoming pregnant, would not have that right to make that choice. And we need to remind people that this is what we're facing in the future. If it is your daughter, if it is your sister in the future who is raised and these people become in public become the change the law of the land, your sister, your daughter is not going to have that choice. We need to remind people that we are voting on a multitude of issues, including this one. We're voting on a multitude of issues including um health care and social services programs and health care. And I mean you we're voting on gay marriage, you we're voting on a multitude of issues. And to me it's been it's down to the economy and it's down to foreign policy. But those are two issues out of a out of a buffet that we have to be looking at. And people have to be reminded of this.
3: Yeah. All right. Well there's no shortage of reminding <laughs> when it comes to the internet and and the news in this next uh, this next 12 days or whatever, it is, 13 days. Heidi, thank you for your thoughtful um, comment. And by the way, it's Missouri. Thank you, Francisco. It's Missouri that uh, that Aiken is from who made the, those other comments. Who now is in uh, is closed the gap uh, with I believe it's Claire McCaskill um, who's running for Senate. So okay, bye for now, Heidi. Thank you. Um, there we go. You know, I don't know that we ever solve anything, but I, I, I know that um, Sarah uh, in, in, uh, in Illinois was, um, was talking about what it means to use your voice. Like, why, if you're going to raise your voice and you're just going to give people, you know, people agree with you, I'm paraphrasing, but if people agree with you, basically, you say something, you use your voice, and that's fine, they agree with you. But you're basically opening yourself up to have other people disagree with you. Uh, and then, and, and if, it's, if you're not going to be able to change your mind, uh, what's the point of opening yourself up? And Sarah, I would just say this. thank you for asking me that question uh, because it goes to the core of what the show is about. And even though um, I'm an actor and I would love 100% of the people to go see the movies I'm in, I know that by saying I'm a Democrat, many won't. Or many might not. Um, unless they just think Doug from Fifty First States is so funny, it doesn't matter if he's uh, not a public. But um, you never know—you absolutely one hundred percent never know where the difference is going to be made. All we can do is be true to ourselves and think what you think. Use your best judgment when you feel like it's right to speak, speak, and know that whether someone agrees, maybe you'll convince someone, maybe not right there when you're standing in front of them, but maybe six months later or two years later, something will happen in that person's life, and all of a sudden they'll reflect back to an idea you had, and it'll contribute to a development of their position or opinion or feeling. So on this show, I, I sort of we sort of say that it's not likely that anybody's going to change anybody else's mind. Maybe somebody can bring a fact to bear or an opinion to bear that would be illuminating, but you know, I'm not going to change Jason, who's one of our good conservatives, I'm not going to change his mind, but we can find areas of agreement. And when I walk away from a conversation with him, I can be that much smarter. And n- neither one of us knows, Jason or me, who our opinion is going to help. But the idea is that in a civilized society and in a democracy with an informed electorate, the more we communicate with each other, the more... The more uh, capacity we have or might have to think, and more developed our thinking can become. So sometimes it's best to talk to people who disagree with you and then go back, think about what they said. See if it confirms your thought or see if it provokes your thought. But either way, we're coming down, we've got two weeks left. I think it's really, really good. I like it when my audience goes out there and engages the waiter or waitress, or their fellow colleague, or their friends, someone they meet at a party and uh, mix it up a little bit. Protect yourself at all times, like they say to fighters in a ring. don't lose your job it's not worth it, but find a way to make a difference and knowing what you think and saying it out loud pretty good start. Okay everybody thank you so much we will see you uh, or hear you from the Dominican next week uh, if possible uh, and then hopefully before the um, election. My name is Sean Ashton, thank you Francisco for all of your help today, Johnny Ice on the phones and on the boards, thank you, and uh, thank you to uh, Brett and Heidi and we had another caller going up, you know, another caller too, but thank you to all for your calls and uh, for your help on Twitter and we will uh, get back after it again, thanks very much everybody.